Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the Cabragal clan of the Darug Nation, who are the traditional custodians of this land we are meeting on today. We also pay our respects to the elders, both past and present and future of the Darug Nation. Hey friends, welcome to our podcast, A Seat at Our Table. Candid conversations about our Asian Australian experience in the creative industry. I'm Wendy. I'm Tracy. We, we saved, saved you a seat. seat. Come, Come join us. us. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We are on episode 10. Crazy. Yes. It's double digits. <laughs> Very exciting. Um, a milestone. Yeah. <laughs> in today's episode, we're going to do something quite fun. We're going to interview a very special guest. <laughs> Wendy Sam. <laughs> oh, pleasure to be here. <laughs> Glad you're here. Thank you for joining us at a seat at our table. So we thought it'd be a little bit fun to do 20 questions with Wendy to get to know her better from a personal level and a professional level. A deep dive into her life. Yeah, I hope you find my life interesting <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> if you don't, don't say anything. <laughs> Just pretend you do. Um, so I think the first question, we're going to start from... When you were a kid, mm-hmm. so what were you like as a kid? Like, what did your day in a life look like as a young Wendy? I spent a lot of time, like, because I lived in a townhouse complex. So I would say I spent a lot of time playing outdoors with mm-hmm. my neighbours. And we had, like, a driveway. So obviously it was a lot of, like, riding bikes, um, being hooligans around the neighbourhood. <laughs> um, rollerblading was a huge thing. But also I think spending a lot of time playing with my sisters as mm. well. Like we we had um, dial-up internet, so yes. we had to <laughs> – Yeah, we had to um, kind of take turns using the computer. So I would say a lot of it was spent with my sisters and shared childhood yeah. with them. But, yeah, a lot of the time was spent outside as well. So I would say very energetic, Mm -hmm. Um, loved socializing with other people, which is, I think, why I'm such an extrovert now. Um, Yeah, I think that answers the question. Yes, cool. (laughs) So, like, the next question is how have you changed over the years from, I guess, a kid to a teenager to now? Like, do you feel like you have kind of a similar personality, similar traits, or, like, how have Mm. you changed? Yeah, I think as a kid – Growing up with, like, two older sisters, I always kind of followed in their footsteps. Mm. So anything that they did, such as um, the extracurricular stuff at school, sports, I feel like I always felt inclined to do it because they did it. Yeah. So I would say what traits that led to was kind of being very ambitious with everything that I did, like, always wanting to be the best. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Never taking kind of, like, second places as like accepting it kind of always wanting to strive for like first is that because your sisters put that pressure on you or is it um I guess because my sisters were such high achievers Mm. so in seeing that I was like oh I kind of want to live up to that standard as well but as a kid you don't really know yeah you kind of just subconsciously do it yeah and I think even in my high school years um that translated over I was so involved in everything in high school extracurricular sports um and always wanting to do my best in subjects yeah and even choosing my subjects in like year 10 I ended up choosing very similar subjects to my sisters Mm. like you know three in a math three in English and my parents never put that pressure on me it was kind of just like pressure that I saw in terms of through my sisters and what they achieved so I would say all in all those traits have carried through to my adult life as well always wanting to strive for better and I think it's a very kind of Asian household mentality, right? Like never accepting 
what you're given as kind of like the limit, trying yeah. to push yourself beyond that. And so I think that's kind of who I am now, always wanting to do more and yeah. more um, and doing the best that I can to feel satisfied yeah. in a way. Yeah. 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 I think that kind of goes into the next question is like, you've always been quite a go-getter. Like you said, in high school, you were involved in like literally everything. <laughs> and now you're so, you're, you are as well. And you're someone with a lot of confidence. I think you know mm. what you want, you get it. So like, how did that come about? Like you were, were you always like that? Or was there like a shift suddenly where you were like, I want to do all these things? Um, I think one, I'm probably just really selfish and just want to like <laughs> make the most of every opportunity. Yeah. I say yes to absolutely everything and sometimes it can be to my own detriment. Yeah. And I'm really feeling that now where I've taken on probably too much. But I think in terms of how that kind of attitude came about in terms of being a go-getter and being someone with confidence, I actually think that came from my mom. Um, She has always been such a hustler and I think seeing how hard she works, it's been ingrained in me that I should probably work as hard as she has because she's given us everything. And so – I want to be able to give that to myself and then in the future be able to give that to my kids. So I think while I'm young and have all that energy about me, I want to use it as best as I can. But I think things like confidence, my entire family I would say is quite quite confident. Like my parents are quite outspoken. They've always been the kind to speak up if something doesn't sit right with them. And I think that's kind of been passed down through my sisters and to me as well and I think it's just like your values right your family values and you start to adopt those things as someone growing up in the same household as like you know two other two older sisters and my parents and yeah so I think it was just like a natural process it wasn't something that I decided on one day yeah but it's also just like how my parents raised me yeah. as well. It's just your nature, I guess. Like, yeah. That's just your nature. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually going to skip down to a question that I had later, like, later on. So mm. we talked about how you kind of have a lot of different interests and you sometimes have a lot on your plate. Can you tell the audience like what, what do you have on at the moment? Like how do you manage all that? Yeah. yeah. Um. So there's a laundry list essentially. <laughs> so obviously I have my nine to five, yeah. my job um, as a consultant. And then on top of that, Ever since uni, I've been freelancing on and off. Yeah. Um. So that's the second thing. And then I've obviously got um, Finn by Wendy, which is my small jewellery business. Yeah. That's not too busy at the moment, so it's actually okay. But on top of that, you know, socialising with friends, playing social sports as yeah. well, trying to go to the gym, trying to balance all of that. And then on top of that, it's like looking for a place to move out to as well. Like, it's just all kind of come at once. Yeah. And, yeah, it's – I think I got in too deep before I realised, oh, my God, I'm actually so busy. So busy that every week to feel like I'm in control and on top of everything, I need to time block in my calendar so I don't forget stuff. Yeah. Which is crazy because it's kind of like you probably shouldn't have to live like that. What is what is time blocking for people who don't know? Um, so I use Google Calendar and then in Google Calendar, I put in specific time periods yeah. of when I'm expected to do something. Yeah. So obviously like 8.30 to 5.30 is work. Yeah. And then I would put in like dinner time, yeah. gym, <laughs> uh, one hour for this freelance right. project. And it's not so rigid that I have to do it all in that one hour but it's just so that I know what's coming up and what to expect yeah or what's prioritized for that day yeah and when I when you've got so much on your plate I think you need to mentally prepare yourself 
for what you need to do that day. Yeah. Otherwise, I end up procrastinating and then I kind of put things on the back burner. But it also allows me to see where in my schedule can I flex if, like, tonight I decide to go hang out with friends. Do I have that time or do I have that luxury of time? Yeah. Um, It may be a bit OCD for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, it's a bit bit, – it works for me. Yeah. So – and it mentally prepares me for the week ahead. I feel like if you have so much on your plate, it's just good to just put it down somewhere so you're not storing that all in your head and probably seeing it in a calendar makes it a lot easier to manage. I would say it's kind of like a scheduled to-do list. Yeah. Um, Do you deal with burnout, like having so much on your plate? Yeah, I think about a week ago, I was like borderline on kind of the brink of like the tipping point, you know, and that was a moment where I was kind of like, okay, I took a step back, reflected. I've obviously taken on too much this time and that was my own fault, but I just need to finish all this stuff, especially with freelance. I've got five clients at the moment. I'm trying to just tick them off one by one. But then I've set a rule for myself not to accept anything else after that. And I think it's kind of like reflecting on how you got to the point that you are now. And obviously for me, that was just accepting way too much. Mm -hmm. But then acknowledging like I'm probably just kind of going to have to work through it, get through it, and then learning my lesson, knowing that I should say no to stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if I did not have that self-awareness, yeah. I think I would just keep going and going and yeah. it would get to the point where it's too late yeah. to kind of return. So now I'm kind of like operating on, I wouldn't say autopilot, but I've just accepted my fate yeah. and I'm just trying <laughs> to get through it because I just know there's going to be an end to it and yes. it's not the end of the world. Yeah. But I would have to say about a week ago, I was like quite stressed. Mm-hmm. I think it was that point of realization yeah. when, yeah, it just it just got to me that like far out. I can't blame anyone but myself because I got myself in this position. So it's up to me to get myself out. I feel like me and you in high school, we were literally saying yes to everything. And that was probably (laughs) the mentality we carry on now. But now it's almost like, actually, balance and mental health is also important. And, you know, we're not as young as we were before (laughs) saying yes to everything is running on 100% all the time. Yeah. Yeah. My partner brought up a good point. He was just kind of like, why would you put in 20% to like say your effort is a hundred percent and you've got 10 things you're putting 10% into everything. Yeah. Why don't you just focus on three things and then you can split it up like 30% on this, yeah. 30% on this and 30% on this. You're going to do a much better job yeah. and you can put your attention to it. And I was just like, yeah, that's a good point, I guess, because I actually am now struggling to focus mm. because I'm always thinking about, okay, what's next? What's yeah. next? And that just takes away from the attention that you should be putting into the task that's right in front of you. Yeah. Um, so I would say, load. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your cognitive load, right? Yeah. And it is a lot and you don't realize what it's doing to you until you're kind of in the thick of it. I wonder if it's because when opportunities are presented, like we feel like we don't want to miss out. Yes. That's what I mean by like being selfish, right? Yeah. I always say yes, because in my head, I'm like, if I don't try this, I'm never going to know and mm-hmm. I'm always going to wonder. Yeah. But it's about striking the right balance and yeah. knowing what opportunities are actually meant for yeah. you and what opportunities you should pass up because they're not meant for you. Yeah. And for me, the way that I judge that is usually by gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I've got a pretty strong gut instinct. And recently I had, like, a job opportunity come up and – I thought about it for a second and I was like, you know what? I actually don't think it's the right time and right place for me right now. So I'm going to pass the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I felt so much better 
kind of passing it on because normally I think if I didn't have that self-awareness, I would just be like, yes. Yeah. And I wouldn't kind of take a step back to reflect on like, if I say yes to this opportunity, what can it do for me yeah. versus if I stay where I am right now, what can that do for me? It's like jumping to the next big shiny thing Yeah, is a really big lesson I've learned probably in the past year or so. It's like really easy to kind of just gravitate towards what seems really exciting at the time, yeah. but you also got to think about it long-term as well. Yeah. It's actually quite empowering saying no to things. Yeah, it is, yeah. right? Especially like I, I feel like social events, when I say <laughs> no or when I leave early and I'm in bed early, I'm just like, oh. I feel amazing. I Powerful. Did I did this for myself. Yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. FOMO is not getting to Inspiration. me. Inspiration. <laughs> um, so going kind of back to reflecting on your life, mm. have you had a favorite, like, do you have a favorite age? Like an age that you really liked? Any like pivotal moments or years yeah. that shaped you who you are today? You already know the answer to this, Tracy. <laughs> Like, I'm I, don't even need, I don't even need to tell you, but the audience just take a moment, think about what she's gonna say next. <laughs> Exchange. I think I was what was it, 2017. So I was um turning 22 that year. Okay. So it's like 21 to 22. Yeah. I would say, yeah, that was the best year of my life. <laughs> I mean, it was the craziest year, but it was the best year of my life. I think it was because it just pushed me to new heights in terms of um putting myself in a really uncomfortable position mm. of being in a different country i think back to that time and i'm just like damn how did she do it yeah. like i was a completely different person and i think i also felt a lot of um mental relief honestly because being away from home and being away from friends i didn't have the stress of like family or friend drama or anything like that all those like social pressures yeah. And I think I was truly, well and truly living my best life. Yes, you were. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, yeah, and also like I kind of took risks that year in ways that I would be quite, I guess, calculated about mm. right now. I didn't think about what I was doing. I kind of just did it. And I think, yeah, you live such a carefree lifestyle. It's kind of like you have no nothing holding you back. So you're just like, yep, I'm going to do it. And you don't even think twice There's about like it. There's like no concept of like, personal safety when you're overseas <laughs> i know i think back to sometimes and i'm just like that was a really dangerous situation but you know i survived so it's fine yeah like i was yeah. talking to a friend about this as well like i feel like when you're overseas you literally feel invincible like i can do anything and like out of character whatever you do like you can do whatever it's gonna be fine and then you come back it's like stuff you would never do in australia or back yeah. home like i don't know Staying in a hostel, meeting friends, and just like going out with them to the beach at randomly at night or whatever it is, yeah. or hopping into a car with a stranger. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. It's like <laughs> that is like red flags in Sydney. <laughs> yeah, things that your parents told you not to do. Yeah, I think I did all of them. Yeah, but when you're when overseas, overseas. Like, <laughs> yeah. But I think the reason why it's my favorite age is because I got out all that energy mm. of, you know, I never once felt like after I came back from exchange, I feel like. I well and truly lived my life and I kind of let go of all that crazy energy. And then I knew like, you know, that chapter's close. Now it's time to focus on other things and prioritize. So I never felt like I missed out on that stage in my life where you're like partying. Oh, like you got it out of your system. Yeah, got it out of my system. That's right. And so that's why I'm so grateful that I had that year because I think if I was where I am now without that year abroad, I would just be like so Devondale about (laughs) Uh, COVID, not traveling. Um, I'm definitely like I. I think you can relate in yeah. that 
we're both very lucky we traveled that much yeah. because obviously we don't know how long this pandemic is going to go on for. And so that's what I mean by I got everything possible out of my system. So now I'm like prepared to move into the next that's stage true. of my life. Like you're not wondering like, oh, what if like I went overseas? What if like, what is it like? I don't know, backpacking, yeah. things like that. We've done all that already. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely things that I want to do more yeah. of. Like I didn't really live the backpacking lifestyle. Mm, I lived out of a suitcase, yeah, yeah. but there's definitely things that, I think could be a level up from what we did on exchange Yeah, um, that could challenge me further. But at the same time, I have no regrets. Yeah. So yeah. it's the best feeling. So what, I guess, what motivated you to go overseas in the first place? Mm, it was part of my course. So yeah. I did a double degree, international studies, which means I did a five year degree with graphic design. Yeah. And in my fourth year was when I went overseas. Yeah. And what you had to do was you had to learn the language for like two years yeah. before you went overseas and then live overseas for a year as a, as a requirement. And I think, I don't even know how it came about. Yeah, it came about. Actually, when we were in high school, we did that program at UTS. Yeah. And just listening to people who did the same degree, I was like, I want to do that. I want to live overseas. It sounds like such a crazy and wild experience. And I think I just never thought about doing it until I heard somebody else do it. And I was like, you know what? That's possible. And if it's embedded in my degree, my parents can't say no. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I don't even know why I picked France. Yeah, I was going to ask French. that. Yeah, why, why France? I think, like, I had that romanticized idea yeah. of what France would be like. And when I got there, I was kind of like, okay, this is so far from what I thought <laughs> it would be. But it's fine. I'm here now. Yeah. And I got to travel all over Europe. Yeah. And I mean, I still speak a little bit of French, but it doesn't really come in handy at all. Could you say anything? Still, could you say like "Welcome to a seat at our table"? Oh my god, no! <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to put myself in that position. <laughs> to our French listeners, they might be offended. Um, I don't even know how to say that. In French. I can read. Um, I can. I can work out kind of what the situation is if I'm reading a yeah. passage, but I'm so far from being confident <laughs> in speaking it. So don't ask me. Actually. Okay, we won't ask you. Yeah, I'll put. I I will put everybody out of their misery and not like I wouldn't put you guys in that <laughs> position. <laughs> It's just Sorry, French listeners. <laughs> um, yeah, and what were like your biggest learnings from exchange? Anything that you still carry with you now? Um, I think to the kind of really challenging moments. So, you know, my first couple of weeks feeling really homesick and then kind of having my phone stolen from me, like pickpocketed from me, um, leaving my phone in an Uber. It's just my phone dramas, <laughs> but also having like racist slurs oh, thrown yeah. at me, being grabbed like by the arm or being grabbed on my butt my at gosh. a festival. Like thinking about those scenarios, I think like they're the worst case scenarios I've ever been through. And I managed to survive that without having family and friends directly around me. So it just pushes me to think oh, I'm so grateful for what I have now, mm. but also reminds me of what I'm capable of yeah. if I'm ever in a situation like that. Yeah. Those are probably some of my biggest learnings, but also the fact that like, there are no boundaries in terms of what you can do with your life. If you want to go and live overseas now, mm. I feel like that's so much more of a possibility than if I didn't go overseas and live there. I would just feel like that's so far-fetched. Yeah. But now I feel like it is definitely a possibility. Mm. So if I really wanted to, I can make it happen. Yeah. And I think I wouldn't have that kind of mindset if I didn't go overseas. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally anything. Yeah. It's possible, right? Yeah. Whatever you want, you can make it happen. Yeah. yeah. And, like, the only person stopping yourself is yourself, really. Yeah. So I think that's probably the biggest learning from spending a year abroad because I 
it's like tried and tested mm. did it for a year there's nothing stopping me from doing it again yeah i feel like we've grown a lot from year 10 <laughs> me year 10 to now we're like what 25 26 like is now at 26 is that where you would imagine you'll be like right here right now like if you ask like 16 year old yeah. me that was how old i was in, in year 10 i think i definitely would say no yeah. i honestly didn't even think about what i would be like at 26 but at the same time i think i'd be really proud of myself mm. in all honesty i think pushing myself the way that I have in the last year and everything that, you know, happened to me last year in terms of, like, having a concussion. Yes, it's back, guys. But also having, like, you know, a relationship end and another one begin. All that stuff I never imagined I would be going through in my 26th year of existence. But at the same time, I'm really proud of everything that I've achieved. And I also think that 16-year-old me would have been, like, oh, Wendy at 26 would have, like, a five- or ten-year plan. Yeah. But I feel like for the past couple of years or past year and a half, I've really been living in the moment mm. and I've never really let, like, you know, a moment pass me by and felt, like, regret that I wasn't present for that yeah. moment. And I think that's like, the kind of mindset that I'm really proud of because I could be easily thinking two, three years ahead but I don't want to think about when I'm going to get married or when I'm going to get engaged. Like that stuff doesn't bother me because it's kind of like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, what's the point of planning so far ahead that you don't even focus on what's right in front of you? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I love that. Inspiration for everybody. <laughs> Live in the moment, people. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next question, getting a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Do you have any insecurities or struggles you deal with? How do you manage them in the tough times? I think just weakness in general like I never want people to see me as a failure or as someone who's got like weak spots Mm. which is why I go so hard at everything because my own success is kind of how I think other people see me yeah and so I never want someone to think of me like oh she said she was going to do this, but she didn't do that well at it. But I know that it's probably just me telling myself. It's that. like your perfectionism. Yeah, side exactly. Out, right? Yeah. So I'm very conscious of the things that I say to people in terms of like, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And because I've told somebody or I only tell people those things, my plans, if I know I'm going to actually yeah. do it. I just have this like fear of like not succeeding. Mm. And I think like that will snowball into how people see me. And if people see me as a failure, I'm just like, I'm going to have an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's got a bit deep. I think I just think that, like, yeah, failure and me, yeah, not a vibe. <laughs> like, you're, it makes you uncomfortable, right? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Which is probably why I just want to take on every opportunity possible. I never want to say no to anything and I never want to tell somebody that I can't do something unless – I've tried it and given it a go yeah. and then really shown them that, oh, actually, I can't do this. But it's the effort that counts, I think, in my head. So if I've shown them that I've given it a go, that for me, I think, should probably kind of, what's the word? Like how the other person sees me is like they'll say, oh, like you gave it a go. That's all that matters. As opposed to, oh, you're so shit at something. Yeah. 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 And I also never want to be, like, a naysayer um, and, a, and a Debbie Downer. Yeah. Like, I think because I don't like that in other people, I yeah. think 
that's an insecurity of mine. Like I Projection. never, yeah, yeah, I never want to kind of be the person to put someone else down or be the reason why their energy levels are down as yeah. well. So speaking about, you know, other people, um, mm-hmm. how would you describe your relationship with those around you? Because I think from my perspective, you're a really good friend. And oh, I think, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Are we having a counseling session now? <laughs> We're just having a love session. Yeah. Like you have a really good friend. And I think you have really strong relationships with the people around you. So I want to know, yeah, like how would you describe your relationship with your friends and people around you? And how did you build those relationships? Mm. I would say since 2016 or 2017, my circle of friends hasn't really changed all that much. Mm. All my close friends are like the same handful of people. Yeah. And I really, truly believe in the saying that it's all about quality, not quantity. Hmm. I would say in 2016, which which was my second year in uni, yeah. I made so many friends, yeah. especially through VSA, yeah. which is the Vietnamese Students Association, that half the time I look on my Facebook and I'm like, who are these people? I don't remember how I met them, but they're my friend on Facebook. Cool. But beyond that, I think... Ever since I went on exchange, mm. exchange really showed me who my true friends are right. because they're the ones that really tried to keep in touch. And then once I came back, it was kind of a sign of who I should rekindle with. Mm. And ever since then, honestly, my circle of friends hasn't changed and I've just gradually built stronger and stronger relationships over time with them. And as you transition through the stages of your life, the people who stay for that and support you through mm. it and how they respond to change in your life is a sign of the quality of the friendship. So say like, you know, if you're looking for a place, um, how kind of invested somebody is in terms of asking you, how is that going the next time you see them? If they remember those details in your life, I feel like all the people I have around me are those types of people. And they're truly invested in your life for the right reasons. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to keep in touch with them all the time, but it's kind of like if you know they will reach out to you to ask for time if they want to spend time with you. And I really value that because I know that at this stage in life, everybody is so busy with their own stuff. And so I try and make the effort to catch up with friends where I can, booking in time because you know that that time is coming up, so you're going to save the chat for then. Yeah. And I think what drives me is with my friends, I really like to try and celebrate their, you know, big life moments with them. I would say like... Gift giving, I'm not a, that's not my love language. Yeah. But I do like to, you know, celebrate those moments by doing stuff like that. Like, right. you know, those nice gestures. Yeah. And kind of putting thought into more sentimental gifts mm. or making a moment in somebody's life feel even more special. Um, because I know a lot of people around me don't like to celebrate themselves. Yeah. But if you can help them celebrate those moments and remember those details in their life, I think that goes to show what a fr- what type of friend you are because you're actually well and truly invested yeah. in their life and for the right reasons. Yeah, so I think that's what really drives me and I think I just want all my friends to know that like I support them, mm. you know, in everything that they do. And I think a lot of the time as well, what I've seen from my friends, Tracy included, is when I've been through hardships, yeah. the people who have stuck around and supported me in those times, that's when you know like who your true friends are. And I think because of the year that I had that was what really stuck out for me. And I was just, I think, even more grateful right. for the people that I had around me. Yeah, I yeah. think, like, building strong friendships, like, they take effort. And I think maybe 
in high school, it was less effort because we're like, we're always surrounded by the same people and you always have touch points with them. But like you said, like going the extra mile for your friends, showing them that they care about them. I think that's so important now because you don't get as many touch points anymore and you mm. actually have to put effort into showing your friends that you care about them. Yeah. And it's something that you do really well. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, school where you see your friends every day, but also you're like on MSN chatting, <laughs> on Facebook chatting. Now people don't have time for that. And no. I, for me, I'm like, if you want to spend time with me, like let's tee up a time and let's have a conversation face-to-face about how we're doing mm. or a phone call. Yeah. You know, I really value those moments because I'm honestly, I don't have time to message people back and forth. And I feel like it's not a very engaging way. Yeah. I don't think it's a real conversation. It's to be not. Honest. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can just like look at the message and leave it. Yeah. Um, whereas when you're face to face, you're kind of forced to be in that moment, yeah. talking to that person, responding to them, being genuinely engaged in the conversation yeah. you're having with them. That goes to show like what type of person you are and how you like to communicate mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. yeah, I think kind of setting that standard, like I'm going to be here for you, be present, and then other people can respond the same way as well. Yeah. yeah. And I think if what I'm doing is not reciprocated by my friends, like I'm pretty brutal and I'm just like, bye. Bye. <laughs> because there's no time See you for later. that. Yeah, yeah, there's no time for that. And yeah. if like we're not on the same page, yeah. like let's talk about it. And if we still can't get on the same page, then I don't think there's a benefit in being in that friendship with exactly. each other yeah. for both people. Yeah, because it's not reciprocated yeah. or the yeah. respect is not given mm. back. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to career. Mm-hmm. So after studying design, obviously there's so many different routes you can take in design. I feel like when you people refer to like, oh, I'm a designer, but there's just so many types of designers you can be. So like, how did you decide what type of designer you wanted to be? Having the year on exchange, yeah. so when I was, um, in 2017, when I was in France, I didn't do any course units in design. So all of that was left to my last year. And so I actually had the t- luxury of time to figure out what do I want to do in design and then how I'm going to use my last year in uni strategically to build up my portfolio to help me get into that industry. And I actually discovered user experience, mm-hmm. UX and UI, And kind of fell in love with the idea of like building digital experiences, whether that's through an app or website, because obviously digital is so big nowadays. So knowing that when I got into my last year in 2018, I geared all my projects towards that style of project. So UX and UI. And I would have to say I was quite like tunnel visioned into UX and UI, but then I actually accidentally fell into consulting at Deloitte Digital where I discovered service design. Yeah. And the whole time when I was in uni, I was just like, oh, I need to pick a niche and I need to get a job at an agency that specializes in that. But I think when you go into a consulting firm, it actually opens up the doors so much more. So in my first year of being a graduate consultant at Deloitte, I tried everything from brand strategy to narrative strategy to proposition design, service design, And I was lucky enough to be able to expose to all of that because that's how I decided where I wanted to go and eventually what I was passionate about. I realized through the five years that I had been at uni that I hate the execution process. So I actually (laughs) hate designing stuff. Yeah. So it's not your traditional graphic design. Is that what you mean? Yeah, it's not. I hate output work. So actually producing the designs. Okay. I'm more so kind of enthusiastic about the research and the conceptualization of ideas. So you know, thinking of a really cool idea. What is the story around it? 
I feel like that kind of comes second nature to me, whereas, like, I get really stressed when I need to produce an output. Yeah. But with that said, I still do freelance, so that's how I keep my technical still skills yeah. intact. So I think everyone kind of thinks design is, like, graphic design and mm. like it's, like, Photoshop, InDesign, Illustrator, whatever. Yeah. Like, do you use those tools in your job? Is that the type of work or no? It's a bit... Because bigger picture like you said yeah. yeah i would say my nine to five job yeah more big picture yep. thinking um really problem solving yep. with design so using like design principles and methodologies yeah to problem solve mm-hmm. i'm not going to go into the detail but it's kind of like think about design research yeah that's what we do yeah whereas outside of work when i freelance that's when i use the tools that's more traditional graphic design which people are probably understand yeah um a lot more easily yeah um that's all about you know building something that looks really good but also speaks to the brand values of the client that i'm working with whereas in service design it's kind of like client comes to you they're providing a service for a customer and they're like oh we have this problem that we want to solve but we just don't know how to solve it and in service design we do research and we kind of try and get to the bottom of the problem and then we propose solutions on top of that yeah so kind of a random question but Mm. for somebody who does like hasn't studied product design in school or like Mm -hmm. in university can they become a service designer if they did something else yeah yeah the other thing that i actually just remembered um on that's also on my plate is i started teaching at usit so i started teaching design computing which is essentially like a ux and ui course and i had my first class this week and these are all students fresh from high school And seeing how they talk about why they're passionate about design and what they want to get into, I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's so refreshing because they're so passionate about it and they're really driven. They want to really live out their dreams and discover what they're passionate about in uni. And I was trying to explain what service design was to them, but the message that I really wanted to, to show them was that even though you're doing this specific course, what you end up in after uni don't kind of box yourself into one role. Mm. It's possible that you're going to end up in something completely different. Yeah. So don't kind of like think too narrowly about where you're going to end up because then you're not going to be able to see opportunities beyond that. I work with people who have studied commerce degrees, Mm. economics degrees, and they've just learnt how to do design research just through working. Yeah. And – you know, it's just learning about the principles of design and, like, customer experience and all that kind of stuff. And it's not hard to learn. Yeah. You just have to be passionate about it. Yeah. And you just have to have a curiosity about you to be able to do the job well. Yeah. If you see it as a chore, then it's obviously not the right, like, uh, career for you. Yeah. I think it's, like, figuring out what type of work excites you or what type of things excite you rather than, like, this is the role I want to go for. That's it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, subject matter, right? Like, what are the topics that you're actually passionate about? If your goal in life is, like, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. Yeah. Like, you're going to get there and you're going to think, wow, what have I actually achieved in my life? It's just a role title. Yeah. But what am I well and truly passionate about? You're going to get to that point and you're not even going to know. Yeah. Because you would never focus on that from the beginning. Exactly. Whereas if you're focused on a topic that you're really passionate about and you really want to drive change through that topic, area or that job then you're always going to have a greater mission in life as opposed to just climbing the ladder yeah 
It's the journey, not the destination. Yes, 100%. Beautifully <laughs> summarized. Yes. So what is the difference between like a de- being a designer in-house, being at the big four versus the agency? Because I know you've had experience being a designer in all these type of mm. um, companies. So as a designer in-house, yeah. you're work- usually working for a single brand or single company. Yeah. So you're really working on products related to that brand. So when I was at Bailey Nelson, yeah. which is an optometry brand, as the in-house graphic designer, I was working on things like their social assets for Instagram, their store displays, like the poster that was going up, the next campaign, um, the EDMs, so yeah. the emails that you get advertising like a new product. And you have to really believe in the company to feel like you are you look forward to work, yeah. I would say. And I love Bailey Nelson. It's such a great brand. And Sponsor us. <laughs> and... You know, how they design their glasses and their ethos towards mm. optometry is very different to, say, spec savers. Yeah. Whereas in Big Four, which is consulting, you are working on a project basis. So you can get a client that can range from like six to eight weeks. And you're essentially kind of being contracted into the company to help them solve a particular problem. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like you've been hired as a contractor as opposed to kind of, how would you say, like you're not invested in the company as much as you would be if you were in-house. Yeah. Yeah. And then agency, I would say the work is very output-driven. Yeah. So a lot of the time agencies work on like brand design or if they are video agency, they're really working on video content. So it's, as a client, you only really go to agency if you want something produced. Yeah. Something very, very specific. Right. Um, so, are there any assumptions about you or your career that bothers you? Oh, 100%. Like, oh, you're a designer? Oh, so you, like, you know, you make logos and stuff? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I do logos, but I do so much more than that. Yeah. I think big corporate companies, the clients that I work for, one of the best feelings is getting them to understand why design is so important yeah. and why design methodologies are so important. You know, a lot of the time, I think... Designers get tacked on at the end of a project. Yeah, to make things look pretty. To make things look yeah. good. Like, hey, I've got a PowerPoint yeah. deck. Can you make it look good? And that's kind of how my career started off, right? I was just really there for output-driven stuff. But they never really thought of you as, like, an intellectual person mm. who's capable of doing research and seeing the world in a different way. Because I think perspective, designers think very differently. Yeah. And even the part of the brain that we kind of – like, you know, lean towards, we see uh, solutions that other people can't see. Yeah. And if you put designers plus other types of people who are not designers in the same room, yeah. think about what you can do when you've got both yeah. sides of the brain in the same room. Yeah. So I think that's kind of how the design world is changing. And that's one of my aspirations. It's helping non-designers understand what design can do Yeah, and why you need to have an uh, a design team yeah. within your business to do that kind of work yeah. as opposed to, hey, let's. Um, yeah. I need a poster. Can you make that for me? And you need to involve them from the very beginning yeah. as well and not just at the end, like make our slides look nice. Yeah, because yeah. without contextual understanding, yeah. how can you make something look good if you don't understand exactly. it? Exactly. That's what visual communication is all yeah. about. It's like knowing the intent and the purpose of the piece of work. Yeah. What does it aim to achieve? And then how can design help? Um, support that. Yeah. Cool. Um, so if you weren't a designer, 
what would you be doing instead? I think I would be like, okay, are we talking like anything? No, possible? like or realistic, like realistic, realistic okay. like realistic, like not that you had all the money, but like <laughs> if you could choose another career, like I guess would you? And is there anything that you Honestly, would do? Thinking about what was on kind of my course like list, I think. Oh, that interior design is still in the same space. Event planner, probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if event planning paid well, I think I'd make a bomb event planner. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm so anal about things and I love planning stuff. And if the outcome is better, I'm just like, that's what I live for. I can see you holding like a clipboard. Oh my and, God. Like, you yes. know those mics? <laughs> <laughs> like, can I get service to the front, please? Service to the front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'd definitely be. An event planner, I think. And specifically, I think I would love to plan weddings. Yes. Because they're such beautiful moments. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay, let's talk about Finn mm-hmm. by Wendy. So what is it and how did it come about? So it's like kind of on a hiatus at the okay. moment, I have to say, because I have a lot on my plate. But it started out as a COVID hobby. I don't know how I got into it. I think I just saw something on Instagram. But I was like, oh, what if I make my own jewelry or mm. my own earrings? And then, yeah, I just bought stuff, some stuff off Etsy, like supplies. And then I started making earrings for, like, my sisters and I. And then I think a couple of people, when I posted it on my stories, this is very, like, I think very common nowadays when somebody posts something cool that they've made on Instagram, people instantly ask, like, oh, are you going to turn it into a business? Yeah. Or you should sell that. Or you should sell that. Yeah. And, yeah, I fell into that trap. So I started <laughs> selling stuff. And as someone who's always wanted to own their own business or kind of explore that space. I was like, this seems like a really good opportunity Mm -hmm. to do that, but without too much risk. Yeah. Because handmade jewelry, it's quite like, it doesn't take off a lot of space. The supplies you buy are not too expensive. And it's not like a warehouse situation where I would need to hire out a warehouse. And if I have leftover stock, I'm screwed. Yeah. So it seemed relatively safe to explore that space of, what would it be like if I was a small business owner? But it's such a flex, I have to say. Like, it's like... <laughs> I have my own jewellery and I. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think much of it, honestly. Yeah. I think it's just for fun. Yeah. I tell people that it's just for fun. And it really is just that. Yeah. I don't think it's going to allow me to, like, quit my nine to five right. and just run that full time. It's not sustainable. It's honestly just for fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like I've had my fun... And I had the joys of creating branding for my own brand, mm-hmm. which is really, really cool. Getting that printed on like things like pouches is always really exciting. Yeah. Especially because in my nine to five, I don't print anything out and yeah. I kind of really miss that part of yeah. uni. So yeah, producing something tangible was actually pretty exciting, I would say. But I really learned a lot in the year and a half that I've been doing it. Yeah. What would be like the biggest lesson from doing it? It's probably what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. Right. So if you put in all your time and efforts into it, it's probably going to boom. But if you only put in like one day every two weeks, don't expect it to be a massive success. And realistically, that's what it is for me. I've just prioritized other parts of my life because I think I just never saw it as a sustainable thing that's going to allow me to quit my job. Yeah. So realistically, that's what it is for me. Do you make money from it? I think that's the audience question. Yeah, I do. I've made profit from it, but I wouldn't say enough to be like oh my, my god job. yeah i'm an entrepreneur <laughs> like i literally just make stuff it's just fun to sell. yeah yeah and it, the joy that it brings me seeing my pieces on other people yeah. 
is enough to satisfy like why I started it. It gives me purpose. But yeah, the intention never was to become a multi-million dollar like jewelry (laughs) brand, have my own storefront, like no way. Realistically, I knew that wasn't going to happen. So that's, I guess that's why I'm not striving for it and not putting more time into it because I just know that's not ultimately where I want to end up. So so be it. You know, some fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I've just come to terms that like, yeah, it's not going to be a forever thing. It's like an itch you had to scratch, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Again, being selfish and wondering what if. Yeah. And if I didn't try it, I would still be wondering what Exactly. It. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So you do a lot of freelancing as well, as you've mentioned before. Like, h- how did that come about? And, like, how do you find clients? I feel like when I talk to more younger people who are studying design, they want to know a lot about, like, how do you get clients? And mm. Yeah. I think it goes back to that thing about my weakness, like, not wanting to fail. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, to make a name for myself after uni, I should probably freelance yeah. and start to build up my portfolio. Yeah. And so with that goal in mind, that's when I started to freelance and accept opportunities. I think um, it just naturally came about people asking me, do you do logos and stuff? And honestly, my first couple of freelance clients, I would say I didn't do an amazing job. I yeah. still look back to some of the stuff and I was such a like naive <laughs> designer still trying to figure themselves out. But now I only accept um, – projects that I'm actually truly passionate about so if the client is coming to me you know I want a logo for my small business but I also want like a brand strategy right I think about is this brand something that I'm passionate about if it's not and I don't really care about the brand I'm not going to work with them and I think that is because if I'm working if I accept the job and I'm working on it I want to feel like I'm enjoying it as opposed to feeling the dread like oh I just have to freelance after work you know and I'm lucky enough that a lot of people refer me to others and mm. that's generally how I find my clients. I've never gone out looking for work and I've never put myself on um, sites like Airtasker or like Upwork and that kind of stuff because I think I would only do that un- if I was thinking about going freelancing full-time. Okay, yeah. Yeah. How would you like – do you have advice for people who do want to get more freelancing gigs? Like how would they build their portfolio? How do they get their name out there? Yeah, build a presence. Yeah. Um, your brand presence is massive. I think things like Instagram, you can harness the power of Instagram to be able to do things like that and build a presence in the community so people see your work mm. and then they think, oh, I want something really similar to that vibe, so I'm going to ask them if they freelance. Yeah. So, yeah, putting kind of making a name for yourself and then letting the people come to you. And that way, if you build presence for yourself, the, th- the people that you attract are going to be aligned to your vision as yeah. a designer and the practice that you have as yeah. a designer. So I would say, yeah, be intentional with what you accept and don't just accept things for the money yeah. because you're never going to feel satisfied otherwise. Yeah. There's a work, I think there's a book called, is it Show Your Work by Austin yeah. Cleon? I haven't, I haven't read that one, yeah. but I, it sounds familiar. Yeah, I've read it and it's like really good advice for, I guess, artists designers anyone that want to get their work out there grow like it's just like a matter of just putting yourself out there mm-hmm. like you're not waiting for perfection but like actually like every week i'm gonna post something i'm gonna make something and yeah. post it out yeah yeah and i think there's there's no harm in that i had friends in uni for like october they would do inktober mm. which was like you know typographic uh, calligraphy drawings and all that kind of stuff and that's because they were passionate about that yeah. and they were good about that I didn't do it because I just didn't care for it. Yeah. And I'm lucky enough that people have referred me, 
But I've always been very intentional with who I've, I've accepted because I've just noticed within myself, if it's a project I don't care about and I've accepted it, then I never look forward to the yeah, work. It's and unfair it just, for them and you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'll never do justice to the work that they've given me mm-hmm. and what they're looking for. Yeah. So I think it's like a morals thing as yeah. well. Yeah. So really think about what is your design practice? What are you passionate about? How does that drive your decision? decision-making process when accepting projects Mm. and how about like money like how do you figure out how much you charge or how much you're worth Mm. this is such a difficult question when I first started freelancing in like second or third year I was only charging like 30 bucks an hour oh my god but honestly at that point in time when you've just started uni you spend so much time on like a piece of work yeah and so because you want it to be the best work you've ever done. You want to impress people. And you're so not sure of yourself as a designer yet. So you're figuring yourself out. And that takes time. And so I was charging 30 bucks an hour. And it was, I think it was just based off um, what I thought other people were charging. Yeah. But it's always a question that people ask in uni. Some people charge $75 an hour because they work fast. Mm. And they know in that hour they can actually produce something productive. But for me, I knew I needed more time yeah. in order to produce something of quality. And so I charged like a lower rate knowing that I was going to work more hours right. on that project. So now I charge based on the types of projects. So if it's like a branding project, I charge like this amount of mm. money, which is like a package. And this is how much they'll get in that. But I would say it's very subject to what you think you're worth, yeah. how much you think your time is worth. And I figured that out along the way in terms of um, just what my nine to five salary is as well. And so I try and mirror that in my freelance life as well. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously for me now, I work a lot faster and I can produce things in a short amount of time. So obviously I'm going to charge more. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say if you're starting out and you feel like you need more time to produce something, Charge less, but knowing that you're going to have X amount of hours to work on this thing. Can you charge all that though? Like, do you feel like, you know, if you're really new and you feel like you're spending heaps of time on something, can you charge all that time? It's up to you. Yeah. You know, I generally like to ask clients the question, what have you budgeted for this? Yeah. And then I try and work within that, but I won't undersell myself. Yeah. So I won't like overwork myself just because the client has said, I want X, Y, and Z. Yeah. If they said, like, my budget is $5,000, I would tell them realistically, this is what you're going to get with $5,000. Right. And then I send them an estimated invoice. And if they agree to it with a breakdown of, like, stage one, conceptualizing the ideas, this is what you're going to get. This is how much it's going to cost. Stage two, once you've chosen something, we're going to move forward with that idea. This is what you'll get at this stage. And then finalizing the the project itself is cost this much. So I really break it down for them so that they can understand where all the costs are mm-hmm. coming from as opposed to just giving them a single figure yeah. and being like, okay, this is how much the whole project is going to cost. Because unless you help them understand what they're paying for, they're just going to see the number as being something really high or yeah. really low. But also don't lowball yourself, yeah. you know, know your worth. And I think as more projects you do, if you undersell yourself constantly, you, you're never going to be able to kind of push yourself to actually charge what you're worth. Yeah. And for honestly, for a while, I was doing that. Mm. I definitely charge a lot less than most people out there. So what I was doing was like, 
seeing what um, other designers were charging, getting quotes from them, seeing how much they price their packages for like a brand. Yeah. And then comparing myself to that. Like do your research. It's the same as searching for a salary, right, yeah. in the industry. You do your research for different types of roles and then you kind of compare yourself to yeah. that. Are there situations where you would go up at a really high rate and then they're like, nah, I can't do that. And then is there an opportunity for you to go, actually, I can charge a lower rate for you. Yeah, but then you have to kind of be really upfront yeah. with them and say, I can charge a lower rate, but this is what you're going to get. Yeah. And cut out the kind of unnecessary stuff. Yeah. I've had situations where I've said to client, it'd be really good if you get brand guidelines with this project. Mm-hmm. It will really help you because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. But we can just not do that. And I could just, if you don't have the budget for it, and I'll just do the logo for you. Okay. So making them understand why you've priced things the way that you have and what they're going to get out of it and give them options. Like, in addition to that, if you want this, which will help you in this way, I'll charge you this much. Yeah. It's like a low, medium, large budget. Yeah. I can get it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like the mentality, like when you get three options, you tend to go for the middle option. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. If you give people options, they're going to think in the same way. But if you just give them one, all they see is like, either I accept this or I don't. Yeah. And then they just think, oh, there's no negotiation. Yeah. But you should open up, you should always open up the opportunity for like, we can discuss prices. Yeah. If it's not within your budget. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um. So I guess a more fun question. Are, are there any big bucket list items that you want to tick off in your lifetime? Hmm, that is a big question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something that you always wanted to do. Honestly, just hire a camper van and drive around Australia. Okay. It's one thing. Um, I do want to kind of like take six months off work. It sounds cliche. <laughs> take six months off work and just, yeah, have a career break and really reinvigorate kind of my identity yeah. or challenge myself to be in different environments and see what how that can inspire my life further yeah I just never want to be still mm. and in the same place because I think that just leads to living a very stagnant lifestyle and I want to be able to do that before I have kids yeah because then it's not about you anymore <laughs> <laughs> so that and probably like either that going around Australia or again living overseas again for maybe three months mm. I think um it's like the exchange, but 2.0. Yes. With money. Yes, with yeah. money. And not being poor. Oh, no more like overnight buses. Oh, killing our backs, our knees. <laughs> Gosh. Anyway, to close off this um, last question, what is something that you always wanted to learn? Um, So this is actually very relevant because I'm starting a florist course mm-hmm. soon and I've always wanted to learn more about flowers. I'm obsessed with flowers. I don't know why. But I signed up for a florist course with a... Uh, Pearson's School of Floristry and that was always something that I wanted to learn I think flowers bring people so much joy and I love buying flowers for people and so um as a part of like my interest in create the creative space I think that's just another form of creation that I want to pick up yeah I love that the theme I feel like the theme of this talk is like if you want to do something just go out and do it right yeah like I remember looking at that course and it was like a thousand dollars essentially and I, I knew that it was a lot of money, so I wrote down a pros and cons list. Mm-hmm. But I wrote down the pros and cons list knowing that I always wanted to do yeah. it. And the signs were I was constantly looking at the course for the past year and I was always sad that there were no openings. And so when an opening came up, it's like, 
why did I even hesitate about it? Yeah. It was a no-brainer. So just do it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, just do it, people. Just do it, guys. Life's too short to, like, hesitate about things and live too kind of um, calculated. I agree. Like, if you, And there's something that you're always wondering about, thinking about, I think that's just already a sign enough to just mm. go do it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so to close off, uh, three dinner table questions. I feel like the whole conversation was a dinner table question. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Quick fire. Okay, first, favourite food, food and drink? Drink. I love ice lattes. Mm-hmm. Ice oat lattes. And favourite food? Um, oh, God. I love cake. cake. Yes. Yep. Tiramisu? Tiramisu cake. Yep. Yes. Cool. <laughs> favourite city in the world? Ooh. Honestly? Can I do a country? Yeah. yeah, you can do a, you can do a country. I'll allow it. There's just so many, but I I love Iceland. Ooh, okay, yeah. Iceland. We love that. And then lastly, favorite song or artist? Okay, I don't need to think about this one. Lainey. Okay. I love Lainey. I knew that. Lainey, I want know. Thank you for sitting down and letting me pick your brain on everything about your life. I think that was a really fun conversation. Mm. Hopefully the audience can get to know you a little bit more through that conversation. Yeah. If they drop off halfway, it's probably because I'm not interesting enough. So (laughs) (laughs) if you're still here, you guys are the real MVPs. Yeah. Thanks for being invested in my life. But if anybody has any questions, obviously Mm. feel free to shoot a message through um, table dot podcast on instagram yeah dm me people dm her slide into the dms <laughs> professional questions professionally <over>. please <laughs> all right thank right. you everybody thank you bye, bye.